Well, good morning, family. Some of you uh, may remember last week, we started the first of three messages from the second half of Acts chapter 20. So if that's confusing, I apologize. But if you would, please turn there to the second half of Acts chapter 20. Uh, We did this last week. I'm going to read this passage in its entirety. Um, And I I realize it's a few verses, but I think it's good for us to do this. Um, That way we have a context And then we're going to have a very brief review from last week before getting to our text today. So, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia serving the Lord with all humility and tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable in teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the full counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in from among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we ask that each person here will be receptive today. We like to ask that you make us good, uh, good seed, good soil, rather. And as the seed lands on it, is planted, we pray that we will take root and bear fruit. We pray, God, that we will be the kind of people that other folks that don't know Christ can look to and say, I want to be like that because I think that's what Jesus looks like. Father, help us also to see ourselves through the eyes of Christ Help us not to, to think that we are too much or too little, but to see ourselves through your sight. 
This morning I ask that every little bit of your word, we know, we know that your word is breathed out by you. We ask that every bit of it will give us breath, will give us life. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so last week, uh, our text was the first eight verses of what I just read, and, and we learned a lot from Paul's pointing to his own life as an example for believers. And we're using the same bulletin insert today that we used last week, and we're going to do the same thing next week. So I'd like to give just a moment for anybody who wasn't here last Sunday uh, to, to just fill in last week's subpoints. okay? To recap, Paul is saying, look at me. As an example, not, not me, he's saying, look, look at me as an example to those that he'd been working so hard to disciple. In the beginning of his speech to the elders at Ephesus, we learned that Christians must strive to live in the open, meaning that we should have transparent lives that are observable to others so that they can see how they're supposed to live as a Christian. And we learned that we should make a good first impression by engaging with others, especially other believers, as soon as we can. We should also uh, serve God with humility, always serve God with humility, knowing that the Christian life is not about us, it's about God, it's about other people. We should persevere in difficulty, meaning that, that we should patiently endure the hardships that are in our lives, and instead of constantly complain, we should, we should trust the Lord to bring us through those things. We learned we should be bold about God's truth, meaning that we discern what the Holy Spirit wants us to do and say in certain situations, and then we should follow His lead, even if it may offend someone. And then connected to that is the fact that we must also teach repentance alongside faith. Just as faith without works is dead, belief that's not accompanied by repentance doesn't fit the biblical definition of faith. And we must always strive to prioritize God's will above all else in order that he will accomplish his purposes through us, okay? Let me give you just a few more seconds to copy that down if you're taking those notes. Then we're going to talk about today's text. This Sunday, we're going to focus on the middle section of Paul's speech, which contains two more of the, the four looks. Paul is encouraging these, these elders that he's speaking to, and then by extension their church, and also by extension, I believe us, to look in and to look out. We see a few examples of each of those in our passage today, and, and that's verses 25 through 31. So let's focus our attention there. And as, as we go through this, these seven verses, and kind of break them up and talk about them, we're going to see at least... Seven things that are important for Christians to do, okay? And as, as we go, remember his original audience. Remember, they were the, the leaders of the Ephesian church, and I think that's, that's really important to this message because of the warnings that come later. So we're going to start again at verse 25. And now, after telling them to consider his example, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Now start with this probably a pretty shocking declaration to his friends. Because after all, some of them had been, probably all of them at some point, had been personally discipled by Paul on an individual basis during his ministry. And now he's telling them goodbye. And if it weren't for him proclaiming the kingdom, it's possible that, that none of them would even be in the kingdom. <laughs> so it's, it's like 
He wasn't just a mentor to them, but he was a spiritual father to many of them as well. And try to keep that in the back of your mind while we go through more of what he says here. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, folks, before we get into the first talking point, I want you to notice the word therefore. Okay? I think it's important for us to note that word. It's because what Paul says here in verse 26 is connected to the previous sentence. He just said he wasn't going to see them again. Okay? In other words, he wasn't going to have another chance to disciple them in the way of Christ. And so that makes his next statement all the more profound that he was innocent of the blood of all because he did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Now, what does that teach us? First, I think it teaches us that Christians ought to work hard at keeping a clean conscience. Now, how does that follow? You know, if you think about this phrase that Paul used, he said he was innocent of the blood of all because he did not declare, excuse me, did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. What does that teach us? What What does that mean? Innocent of the blood of all harkens back to a passage in Ezekiel 33 that you may recognize. We're going to take a look at that right quick. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, he did not take warning. His blood shall be on himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes away any any one of them, that, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity. But guess what? His blood I'll require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you shall have delivered your soul. Interesting. What do you think when you read this or when you hear this? It makes me think of that age-old question, am I my brother's keeper? Spoken by Cain. To an extent, the answer is yes. We are our brother's keeper to to some degree, particularly if the Lord gives you a burden to share the gospel with someone. But but when when you're in a discipling relationship, whether that's official or not, God may also give you a burden to say or do something specific. And you should realize that if he has, you should obey. 
You should listen and obey for the sake of that person's sanctification and for your own. What God is saying here through Paul is that Paul, Paul believes he, he has fulfilled his God-ordained obligation as the pastor of this flock, which incidentally is made up of other pastors who lead the flock in Ephesus. And we're going to come back to that. But anyway, Paul believes that he has completely fulfilled his responsibility to his charges. And so he has a clear conscience about it. To be innocent of the blood of all means that he felt he'd left nothing undone or unsaid that the Lord had commanded him to do and say. That, that is an incredible, freeing statement. To be able to say, I have done and said everything the Lord has given me to do and say. I don't know if, if a Christian can overestimate the value of a clean conscience on our peace of mind. That said, we shouldn't view it as the best indicator of our spiritual state. And just this morning, it wasn't this morning, but as I wrote this sentence, okay, just this morning, I was reading in 1 Corinthians 4, and Paul makes a very interesting statement starting partway into verse 2. I'm going to give you a moment to turn there because it's not going to be on the screen. So if you would, turn to 1 Corinthians 4. I want you to see this with your own little eyes. But with me, he says, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. He says, for I am not aware of anything against myself. That's the clean conscience. But I am not thereby acquitted. In other words, that doesn't mean I'm innocent. Because it is the Lord who judges me. I think that's important for us to recognize. It's good to have a clean conscience, but just because you have a clean conscience doesn't mean you're clean. <laughs> Unless you're clean by the blood of Christ. And that is a, an amazing gift that he gives us. We see in Hebrews 9, blood of bulls and goats can never truly atone for sins, and it never can purify the conscience, but the sacrifice of Christ can but anyway, it, it, it's God, this is what I'm trying to say here, it's God who acquits us of any wrong, it's not ourselves, okay? That's important for us to remember. But if we have a conscience that's seared in any way, okay, and, and I've, I've told you this before, but just for those of you that are new, I used to wait tables, and uh, you handle enough hot plates, and the tips of your fingers end up pretty desensitized to the heat. And so you have to tell people hot plate when you hand them a plate so they don't grab it and burn themselves, right? And, and the thing is, that's when, when the nerves, when the, the calluses build up and, and your, your nerves become seared to the point that you don't feel it anymore, that's a good thing for a waiter when you're talking about your fingertips. It's a bad thing for a person when you're talking about your heart, when you're talking about your conscience. It shouldn't be desensitized. If you can watch movies that you know are garbage, if you can say filthy jokes to your friends, I want you to tell yourself, I may be seared and conscious in this area. You need to pray for God to soften your conscience. Revitalize it. We should avoid 
the whole conscience seared thing. Because if it's seared in any way, it, it, it's, it's likely that we're going to overlook certain aspects of our sin or else we'll just diminish it. Yeah, it's not that big of a deal, you know, rather than being convicted of it. And guys, we should avoid this mentality at all costs because in doing so, we diminish the sacrifice of Christ. Now, we can never truly diminish it, but we diminish it in our own hearts. We diminish it to ourselves. So rather, let's, let's try to, to live lives that, that we can say like Paul, I have a clear conscience. So secondly, note why Paul had a clear conscience. He, he states his reason for this with a very interesting phrase. And upon reflection, I believe this should be our goal as well. We Christians should declare the whole counsel of God. Now, what does that mean? I mean, we've already seen that, that, that Paul felt like he'd taught them everything the Lord had given him to teach. He'd shared everything he sh- that he was supposed to share. And there was, there was a lot. I mean, if you've read the book of Ephesians, there's a big chunk in there. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible. It's from about 417 through kind of, I don't know, 521-ish, somewhere in there. Just a lot. And then it gets into the family after that. And there, there's just a lot of great, amazing moral teaching there. And, um, you know, Paul says things like, he says, don't be like this any longer, but be like this. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't lie anymore, but instead tell the truth to one another. It's, don't steal. Instead, be generous. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, he goes through all these things, and some of that, uh, it could be construed as pretty confrontational, right? You know, especially if the people are like, oh, he's talking to me. You know, you're done preaching, now you're meddling type thing. You know, and Paul did a lot of that. But he gave him so much more than just moral teaching. And this is something I want to just, I want to drive this home a little bit, okay? Paul also told believers about the length and the breadth and the width and the depth of the love of God for them in Christ Jesus. And he told them about how Jews and Gentiles were now one people, reconciled to one another and to God through Christ Jesus. And he talked to them about how they had been chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. I mean, there's a whole lot to this like precious faith that he he handed down. And Paul did his best to successfully pass it along. I want to say that so that we understand it wasn't just about moral teaching. Okay, That was a huge part of it, but that's not all it is. We need to know how much God loves us. reason Paul prayed often that God would open the eyes of his congregations to understand the love of God. I think we ought to do the same thing. We ought to, we have a tendency to focus on one aspect of God's character, I think. Um, and this, this is pretty generically true, but I, I think most of us will focus on one side over the other, which it's not necessarily a sin to do that. It's just not the whole picture You know, if you're quick to speak about God's judgment on wickedness, then be sure you don't neglect His grace or you'll drive people to despair. And if you you lean toward constantly preaching the love and mercy of God, don't forget to preach about His justice and His wrath or people might be fooled into thinking the sin's not a big deal. And, you know, culturally, the pendulum has swung back and forth over the centuries. and, And I think... American society defaults to the latter today. We, we talk about our loving and gracious God, but we don't proclaim the need for repentance often enough. 
And I hope you find it fairly balanced from this pulpit because I know I, know I talk about the need for repentance a lot, but I think I'm just trying to balance out how society's going. We need to hear about it. I don't think we hear it enough, but I also want you to know, friends, that if you are in Jesus Christ, listen to me, if you are in Jesus Christ, then God cannot love you any more than he does because he loves you as he loves his son. It's that same, that same love he has for his son. As long as you are in Christ by faith, he can never love you more than he does, and he will never love you any less. So be sure to let anyone that you are discipling know that, okay? They need to hear the whole counsel of God just as we do. And the cool thing about teaching the whole counsel of God is it makes it a lot easier for us to learn it. I learn a lot when I'm studying to preach these messages. Anyway, um, we're going to continue to Paul's next line. This contains some real meat. I like this. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Who is the flock? The Ephesian church, sure, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, I want, I want to pause there for just a minute and look at this word. That word overseer is one of three Greek words that's used interchangeably in Scripture for a particular office in the church. We use the word elder here, okay? And two of these words are explicitly stated in Acts chapter 20. The third is heavily implied. We're going to look at that briefly. Um, the first is presbyteros. It's where the word Presbyterian came from, okay? And that literally means old people. <laughs> literally, it means aged ones, okay? So in the same way that elders means those who are older and hopefully more mature, more spiritually mature, more wisened, okay? That, that's the, verse, uh, the word that's used in verse 17 when it says he called the elders from the church to himself. That's that word presbyteroi or presbyteros. Anyway, um, so then in this verse, he calls them ep episcopos, which is a word that is translated bishop sometimes, but it means overseers. Literally, it means superintendents, okay? Those who oversee. So what are they overseeing? They're overseeing the people and the affairs of the church. So uh, the other word, it's, it's the word uh, poimen, which is translated shepherd or pastor. It doesn't show up here, although it is applied to uh, the elders of the churches in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Here, here though, he, re he reminds them uh, of, of their role as shepherds by referring to them as caring for a flock. So I think it's perfectly fair to say that, that the idea of shepherd is here in this passage. So elder, overseer, shepherd, or pastor, those are all words that are biblical to refer to the office that we typically call elders. And by those definitions, we should probably assume uh, that those who are in that office should not be too young in years or in the faith. That's very clearly spelled out in Scripture. They should be responsible and faithful stewards, and they should have a shepherd's heart that cares about people. Okay, And please don't miss the fact that Paul states that the Holy Spirit was the one who had made them overseers. Now, if you've not been here too long, uh, you may not know how we select elders in this church. And this is our process, just briefly. The current elders try to stay aware of men in the church that we believe generally fit the biblical qualifications. Uh, I'm going to say qualities. Qualifications is a difficult word for another reason. We'll talk about that some other time. But the qualities of an elder. And we, we look for a man who's already elding, so to speak. And then we, we slowly introduce them to that idea of being an elder. 
And, and it's always a man, because we believe that's what the Bible teaches, and that's a sermon for another day. Um, and then when we're certain that they will be, we believe they'd be a good elder, we introduce them to the congregation, and then the congregation has a certain time frame uh, to, so that anyone in the church that feels like, I know of a biblical reason this man should not be an elder, they can come and talk to the, the leadership about it, so we can discuss that. Um, and then, you know, if they feel like there's a reason he should be disqualified for that office, if there is no valid reason against him, and if he is willing, then we publicly lay hands on him and ordain him as an elder in the church. And we feel like this is not only the most scriptural way, but also the most organic way to select elders rather than to have the congregation vote on them, like a lot of churches do. I think we have seen multiple examples of how bad it can be when people who don't know any better vote for their leaders. So I'm going to just say that and then come back to the text. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, for which he has obtained with his own blood. Now this is an amazing, beautiful statement. Okay, the elders are told to care for the church of God, which he has obtained by his own blood. There's, there's three quick thoughts. And I, I thought about, um, about this, this is after I created the bulletin insert. And so um, there's no spot to write this, but I encourage you to try to squeeze it into your notes somewhere because I think this is good stuff. The, the Holy Spirit gave it to me while I was writing this. Number one, God has obtained his church, okay? The Greek word there means to purchase. We were bought and paid for by God, amen? Number two, God purchased us with his own blood, and so if you've ever been looking for a proof text that Jesus is God, along with the Father and the Spirit, here is one of the many right here. In fact, this, this, this is it's very clear. God's blood was the currency by which he purchased the church. And that blood was shed by his Son. Christ could not have been the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sins, had he not been both fully man and fully God. Because his blood had to pay for the sins of all mankind. Number three, it's a solid reminder of the precious nature of Christ's church. You know, we, we tend to uh, attribute value to things based on what they cost or what you can get for something. And when we recognize that the cost to redeem his people was the literal bloody death of the very Son of God, it helps us to see how important his people are to him and it maybe encourage us to take a little better care of each other. Don't you think? We too often forget how the shepherd left the 99 to find the one and then once he found it, he threw a party. The indescribably precious nature of each human soul is displayed by what God was willing to pay for us. Praise God. Now from this text, we, we Christians, and particularly church leadership. Look at everybody. He's back there. Oh, he, he left. <laughs> he says that we need to carefully watch ourselves. So what's, what's Paul talking about here? 
I think he's referring to keeping a close eye on our speech, on our witness, on our actions, even our thoughts to an extent. You know, Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, he says, it's not the things that we put into our mouths that defile us. And I'm going to give you a second to turn there, okay? Mark chapter 7. Flip there right quick. Mark chapter 7. I'll go with you. I'm going to start in verse 20. What comes out of a person is what defiles him, okay? For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within, and they defile a person. And he uses a specific word there. All these evil things come from within. Church, we have no one to blame for the things that come out of us but ourselves. I'm going to say it again. I don't know if everybody caught it or if you believe it. Okay? Hear me. We have no one to blame for the things that come out of us except ourselves. If I were to take this bottled water and take the cap off and squeeze it, water would go everywhere. And the reason water came out is because water is what's in it. Whatever comes out of us when we are under pressure, that's what was in us, folks. Something important to think about. Because of that, you and I must guard our hearts. In case you're wondering what that little picture is in your bulletin insert, it looks a little bit, you can see it a little better up here. It's a little heart that's in jail. <laughs> you know, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for it is the wellspring of life. We got to guard our hearts. I mean, how, how many of us admittedly don't guard our hearts diligently enough? I think most of us could probably, yeah. I don't think we're all diligent enough. You know, if you watch a TV show because the amount of skin that's in it, you are not guarding your heart. If you are uh, nursing a grudge toward another person, you are not guarding your heart. If you absorb false doctrine by, by listening to pastors who, who emphasize any gospel other than that of Jesus Christ who died on the cross to pay for your sins and rose from the dead, you are not guarding your heart. You're leaving it open for the enemy to attack. Carefully watch yourselves. Also, we should carefully watch our flock. You know, friends, this is where you might be tempted to tune out because you're not, you know, an elder in the church. But I encourage you to recognize that nearly every adult in this room has a flock to some extent. Every parent with children in the home certainly has a flock. Every person in a job that requires leadership has a flock. Most grandparents with access to their grandchildren has a flock. 
If you are an influential person or, or the hub of a group of friends, you have a flock. God has found it proper to give you that influence. So carefully watch out for that flock. And there are three things here the shepherds do. I believe each of us should strive to do those things for those whom God has given into our care. We should provide for them, okay, to whatever extent we have the responsibility to do that. That can mean physically, uh, it can mean providing emotional support, it can mean providing prayer cover, you know, maybe all of those things. Um, we should protect them, you know, from, from dangers, uh, both physical and spiritual. You know, sometimes that's through intercession, you know, again, back to prayer. But sometimes it, it's gentle but firm confrontation when necessary. You know, and sometimes it requires discipline within the proper context. On some occasions, it's protecting them from external forces that seek to harm or exploit them. We'll talk about that in a moment. And we must guide those whom the Lord has entrusted to us as our flock. And that, that can mean advice. Sometimes it means more assertive guiding in the case of, of parental leadership or, or church leadership. Um, I just pay attention. Pay attention to those God has given you as a flock and try not to neglect even the least of them. And most of the time, those in your flock will be submitted to you voluntarily, okay? Which makes it easier to do. Although it is not the case sometimes with certain responsibilities like parenting. That's, they're not always submissive. But always watch out for your flock, okay? Paul goes on to tell them why. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. I want us to talk about these fierce wolves, okay? For one thing, let's define what that means. I think it means two possible things. There's one specifically mentioned here. I'm going to give you the other one first. One type of fierce wolf is the man who publicly proclaims the Christian faith accurately while privately taking advantage of God's people for personal gain. We've seen that many, many times. I used to, I grew up in Farmer's Branch, very close to the Word of Faith church. Forget, I think he was bringing in eight billion or eight million, excuse me, with an M, eight million dollars a year in pledges. Fierce wolf. One that makes me even more sad because I had I had an emotional emotional investment in him is Ravi Zacharias. From what we know of him, he preached the message very faithfully, very accurately, but apparently his life was immoral. We didn't know until after he passed. The other kind is what Paul specifically says will come from their own number, and that is men who preach twisted teachings, false doctrines. And the scariest part about this, and the saddest part to me, is that Paul says some of these fierce wolves will come from among them. This apparently happened, and it happens all throughout history. Some of the worst Charlatans in the 20th and 21st centuries came out of solid church backgrounds. 
And many start out preaching the true biblical gospel, but they end up turning aside because wealth or power or immortality, not immortality, excuse me, immorality draws them out. And they begin preaching false gospels that are prevalent in our society today. I want to, at least, at least one of these, talk about this this morning, at least one of these is so mutually exclusive from the actual gospel that it will condemn a person who believes it. So if you'd like to hear that sermon, <laughs> I'll leave you with a cliffhanger, um, get on the website, go back to May 22nd of last year, and you can listen. There are, there are seven false gospels. The sermon is called The Need for a Pure Gospel. And there's at least seven that are prevalent today. Anyway, whatever the case may be, um, I think we can learn to expect danger in our Christian walk, even from within the church. And I, I will tell you, I'm comfortable with the elders that we have. I, I don't think any of these guys are going to try to twist doctrine, try to lead anyone astray, or you know, draw people off after themselves or anything. But but times and people change. And you'll be exposed to other influences and possibly other congregations in your lifetime. So please, please don't just assume that whatever you hear in a church from the leadership or even from the pulpit is the truth. Check it out for yourself. Be a Berean. Get into the Word. I don't think I'm right on everything. Oh, I probably think I'm right, but that doesn't mean I am. Be beraining your approach. I don't want anybody here drawn away by a false teacher. Anyway, one thing that is very cool about the sentence is that Paul clearly says these fierce wolves will come after his departure. And I think that's cool because he's not going to allow that to happen while he's there, right? He's, he's, he's got his stick, his shepherd's stick, so to speak. Elders, you know, lay people, young Christians, listen, don't be swayed by a false teaching. Don't give the devil a toehold like that. And the way to not be swayed by a counterfeit is to what? Know the real thing. Yes. Know the original. You won't fall for the counterfeit. There are many things, folks, that we can disagree on and still be saved, but there are some things we must not reject. We must not reject the virgin birth. We must not reject the divinity of Christ, His sinlessness, His atoning death, His resurrection, justification by faith, the necessity of the justified to be sanctified. We must not throw those things to the side. We must not turn aside from the basic truth of the gospel and the teachings of Christ. All right, two more quick things, quick things from verse 31, where Paul says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish each one with tears. I want to say, first of all, from this passage, Christians, we got to try to stay alert, y'all. Try to stay alert. Now, I realize this is very similar to expect danger, but there is a difference, okay? You can expect something without being alert. Here's a for instance. Every male in the Barrier family plays the circle game. Starting from way back before I was born, my dad was doing this back in the 60s in college. Uh, if you want to know what the circle game is, it's where you make a circle with your thumb and forefinger, and you place it on your knee, and you get someone to look into that circle. And if you get that person to look into that circle, traditionally, that means you get to slug them in the shoulder. Now, we don't do that part. We just like to get each other. But 
Okay, listen, it's admittedly ridiculous. I know this, but it's so much fun, okay? But, but we, we, we don't just expect it, okay? We know that whenever our family gets together, the game will commence. We know this, okay? But that doesn't mean we're alert, because usually the many circles will be eaten before we finally figure out, hey, we need to start paying attention. When somebody says, hey, what's this? Don't look, right? <laughs> somebody, Is this yours? Don't look. Eye contact or whatever, you know? Uh, and Josh, the other day, I was trying to get him, and I said, hey, Josh, and he goes, huh? And, he didn't, and I was like, wow, they're well-trained. Anyway, so that's, this is what being alert means. It means being on the lookout, okay? So when you see the danger signs, look out. Real simple. Bless you. Stay alert for those who would lead you or, or others in your personal flock astray. But also, the emotional feeling of Paul's words here reminds us of the need to pour into others. Paul says he admonished everyone with tears. Guys, Paul was physically, emotionally, and spiritually invested in his people. He didn't view these men of his flock as people that he could just, you know, kind of take or leave. God, God brought those elders to him, and he poured himself into them. He pursued their sanctification with the same energy that he was striving to be sanctified himself. That is a good example. Paul's shepherding heart for these men and their flock manifested in tears of love. And if you've never cared enough for a person that you've wept over their sin, then please ask God to give you a softened heart. This is God's will for his people, that we care for one another. Excuse me. That we operate as the body, that's 1 Corinthians 12. That we encourage and edify one another, that's 1 Thessalonians 5.11. That we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. And this is the note we're going to end on today, church, Okay. I mentioned if you never wept over the sins of someone else, you should ask God to soften your heart. But if you've never wept over your own sin, you may need to ask God for a whole new heart. A heart of flesh instead of stone. Submit to God. And that starts by believing on His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you do that, the Word says He gives you a new heart. You'll be a new creation in Christ Jesus. He will break you over your sin, and, and He will convict you of your need to receive His mercy and be obedient. Ask Him and you'll be made new. Don't leave today unchanged. We're excited. We have a baptism this morning later. and we've The water's warm, okay? So, amen. So, if anybody's like, you know, maybe, maybe it is my day to be baptized. The, the Lord commands it of you. Repent and be baptized, everyone. Don't let this day pass you up. So if you, if you need to confess faith in Jesus Christ for the first time and be baptized, you have the chance to do that this morning. If you need prayer from your church family because you're struggling with something and you just want us to come down and lay hands on you, we are so happy to do that. That's one of my, my favorite things to do as a pastor is to lay hands and pray over our people. And if you're this morning, if you're here, and uh, I know we have some people that are ready for this, and you think, you know what, this is the church that we're... We're here ready to, to, to walk alongside you in your faith journey. We want to join this body. If that's you this morning, then when we play this invitation, come forward. But please don't miss an opportunity to obey what the Holy Spirit says to you.